What do you mean? Like a song intro? No, just like... Thing that we start every text. every episode with? Yeah. yeah, like, Hi, I'm Patrick, and he's Brian. Welcome to the Worth of Magic Thoughts podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty super cheesy. Okay, we're recording. Episode one, you hated the sound of your own voice. Yeah, it, w- it wasn't pleasant. But I did speed it up to 1.5x when I listened to it. And that actually, I, I like that. <laughs> it made it sound like it wasn't us. Maybe that's a, a lesson. Maybe you need to talk at 1.5 speed in real life <laughs> as well. The problem with these types of things, Brian, is that like all that podcasting is, is it's a exact replication of exactly what you sound like. So if you don't like it, it bad news, that's what you sound like in real life. <laughs> um, okay, Bri, with the first podcast episode we kind of just got into it and didn't really have a set agenda i had a few things that we wanted to talk about but it really was freeform this time instead we know we want to talk about digital detox by digital detox we basically mean unplugging ourselves from the digital world not being dependent on our phones on our computers and basically just not spending too much time on social media I don't know, websites, YouTube, etc. We talked about this a little bit in the first episode. I guess, Bright, when we think about your digital usage now, how would you describe the current rate at which you are consuming digital media? I would say more than I would like. <laughs> about a couple of years ago, I was I was really good and I was on top of things. Um, I think what's what's funny is. I think the amount I allow my devices to kind of dictate my day-to-day coincides with fantasy football seasons. <laughs> so I can pretty much stay away from my phone a lot easier when it's not the fantasy football season. But like every time Sunday rolls around or a football game starts, I start receiving all those notifications and then everyone's excited in the chats. And so I'm constantly glued to my phone or I at least always have it on me. Uh, so I don't miss out on that stuff, but that kind of re-kicks off the cycle of becoming a little bit more addicted, um, constantly receiving those pings and, and checking them over and over and over. And, you know, when you, when you get the notification that you're starting running back scores a touchdown, you, you open the app and you check it every time, even though you know how much that point was worth or how much that score is worth, and you know the score already, it's, it's something that, you know, it's kind of like a slot machine. It's just rewarding in and of itself. So it's not just Sundays during fantasy football season, but it's just during the whole season because you allow yourself to be glued to your phone, as you describe on Sundays, just your usage even during the week during football season is more than it is outside the season? Yeah, it's really... The, the whole concept of digital detox, actually. So I, I thought more about it, and I, we can go into it in, um, in a little bit, but I actually dislike the idea of a detox or abstaining from something. The best thing to do is, is always moderation, right? It's never at the extremes. You don't want to be tied to your phone constantly. And I think also keeping your phone away from you and moving your phone is also not quite the answer. Um, but it's it's more of like an intentional relationship with your phone and with technology. And 
Yeah, and I think that's what gets away from me a little bit when the football season comes around because that intentionality kind of goes out the window. And just like I mentioned, if you're inundated with your phone and all those notifications one day a week, if you allow yourself to do that, it kind of spills over into the rest of the days. So how much, like right now, we're in, fo- we're in football season. Right now, what do you think your, well, first of all, when we say digital, do you include just your phone or are there other mediums like your computer, et cetera, that you would consider in that and that you tr- are, are trying to limit your use of? Yeah, I would consider streaming stuff. So videos, movies, uh, both YouTube and Netflix, that kind of thing. I don't really count music. So Spotify, I I wouldn't really count. Um, Because you're not looking at something, right? Right. It's not occupying your like primary attention. Um, What about about podcasts? Yeah, podcasts, I also don't count. But then again, I'm not the kind of person that listens to podcasts as a primary activity. It's always kind of, I'm always listening as I'm doing something else. So like while I'm running, I'll listen to a podcast or working out or like doing a chore. Um, But I I don't sit down to just listen to podcasts or audiobooks for that matter. And then also the the other major thing I separate is um, reading, especially like on the Kindle. So I don't consider the Kindle to be a poor use of technology or something that I I regret. So basically what we're talking about is on your phone, basically anytime you're on your phone, Spotify excluded because you're just listening to that podcasts excluded. Anytime you're streaming videos, be it YouTube, Netflix, et cetera. So how much are you consuming right now? Like per day or per week? What do you think is the amount that you are doing any of these activities that we're considering activities that we want to limit? Let's see. I, I'm probably on my phone one and a half to two hours per day. And then I, I don't really use social media at all, but then probably like various chats and things I'm on. And I guess we'd include video games here too. Do you include video games? For me. It's tricky because I think games are still intentional enough and it's something that I enjoy. So I guess it also depends on the game. If it's a mindless game that I just pick up and you know, there's no limit to it. It's There's no time bound. There's no like set match or a, or a game that's finite then I kind of just, I consider those games to be the type that um, are distracting or I, I don't want myself to be playing. Like Candy, candy Crush on your candy phone, crush. et cetera. Yeah. But League of Legends, I actually, some, some game modes, I would consider that. So like the, the non-competitive ranked games, I would almost consider to be like the mindless games that you would just, you're basically playing them to pass time. Whereas the ranked competitive games, when I do those, I'm trying to be better each game and it's intentional. So, okay. What about yourself? Well, well, we'll, we'll get to me, Bri, hold up. <laughs> you know, already we're finding that it's a bit of a gray area and it's hard to, it's hard to define 
the target scope. I also think that it's really harsh to be calling the time that we spend on our chat, like talking amongst us friends, as time that we want to limit. I, I get that it is a distraction and it, it definitely, like if you're trying to work and chat at the same time, then yeah, that's absolutely not some, that's something that you want to limit. But like if you hop on the chat for 30 minutes at the end of your day and you're talking to your friends, yeah, okay, I get it. Maybe, maybe you don't want to do that every night, but still at the same time, it's, it's kind of nice to catch up with everybody and, and tell some jokes once in a while. I, I think setting aside time and like intentionally joining the chat and like not leaving the chat and or not closing the app in your phone, just like being in there or on your browser and talking for a period of time, that's better. The one I don't like is when you check every single notification coming in across any chat throughout the day. Because then if you're in multiple chats or you combine this with work Slack and then you combine it with like text messages. And so basically you check every single notification you receive from other people. Um, I, I think that's where it gets into the zone where it, it's basically interrupting you nonstop or you're allowing yourself to be interrupted. And that's what I, I just like. Yeah, I agree with that. So how, fine, let's let's change the question then. Because also, if you go back to what you were talking about, streaming a show on Netflix, that can be an intentional activity that you enjoy doing, especially, you know, with your wife. I mean, why, my wife and I have very little things that we enjoy doing together. So watching a TV show together is a nice way to like close out the day. So if you think about the things that you don't want to be doing. Let's just let's just call it that. Digital activities that you want to try to eliminate from your day or your week. What do you think your average per day for any given week is? I would probably say maybe 2 hours, 2 hours a day. Probably. Yeah, I think it's. I'm. I'm saying more than I think it is, just because I, I imagine I'm undercounting. You're, bi- you're biased. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I feel like it's only maybe an hour, but I, I know it's going to be a lot more. Um, well, here's here's what my fear is. Whatever your number is, I think I'm higher than you. So if you're saying two hours, I feel like I'm more. I don't know. Two hours is a lot every day. It is. Yeah. You you don't have kids though, so you don't have that like the like three to four hours a day that like your kids take up. I don't, I'm not sure I could waste two hours if I wanted to. I don't, I don't see the two hours that I could find in my day to waste. Um, What do you think the majority of those two hours are spent doing? I think a a good chunk of it now is like checking the the fantasy football app. And uh, I think Reddit is where I spend a lot of my time and YouTube actually. So I'm really into like tech YouTube or like technology review YouTube. So I'll see, I'll watch a lot of videos around people like reviewing the latest technology. Opening the new iPhone box. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've seen a couple of those. So that's definitely a waste of time. I agree. (laughs) I agree. That is a waste of time. I don't think I've ever done that, nor have any desire whatsoever to watch some dude open the latest gadget. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I love products. So I love having people give their impression and opinion of products, both announcements, like product leaks. I, I, I like those too, as well as more substantial reviews. Once someone's used it for like a week or, t- or a month or something, even on things that I've already purchased or have or know that I'll never get, I, I still I still enjoy them. When during the day do you do these things? Oftentimes during lunch for like while we're, you know, in this quarantine, um, if, if Jackie is working through her lunch or something, then I'll just kind of be at the computer and watch something while I eat. What I dislike is when I'm on my phone, that's when I'm, I'm mostly doing it. So it's like, I'll be in transition between doing two things. And then in that transition, I'll like check my phone because of something else and then find myself going to the YouTube app and just scrolling for something to watch. And then I'll lose, you know, seven minutes here, seven minutes there. So that does seem like a problem. I think that I also have a problem. You know, I don't think either of us are are close to as bad as it gets, but the way that I think about having a problem checking my phone or doing stuff that I don't want to be doing is not how much time I spend doing that, but how much time am I not doing that? One of the things that really is a marker to me that it's not going well is like if I'm in line somewhere and I can't not look at my phone, right? Or I'm just sitting somewhere like watching cartoons with my kid and I can't just like sit there and be with my kid and watch cartoons. Like I have to pull out my phone. And I think that it goes in, it goes in waves. Sometimes I'm like fine and I can just sit there and be with my kid and, or sit there and be bored or just think about daydream about something or, and then other times it's like, no, like I wouldn't even, I wouldn't, it wouldn't even occur to me to just be here without my phone. Like it's the first thing that comes to mind when I'm in line or in the elevator or wherever on the bus. And I think that that's what's really bad. Anyway, let's get into it, Brian, because you have thought about this subject more than me. I I have some thoughts, but I really like to hear about when you first got into this and and why that was. Yes, I I think I first started to become aware of it back around 2017 when I was listening to Sam Harris's podcast, Waking Up, and he had Tristan Harris on. And Tristan Harris was a design ethicist at Google, and he was in charge of kind of examining technology um, and looking at the ways in which it was being used, both by users and how the company was leveraging the technology almost um, potentially like against their customers and being wary of the technology that would basically force or encourage the person to do something that was in the company's best interest, which was also in the person's uh, worst interest. So kind of having that dynamic being investigated and being watched. Brian, what you mean by that is, like if we take a social media company, it is in the social media company's interest for you to be addicted to your phone. Like that is good for them. That is not in your best interest because it 
deteriorates, you know, the actual experience of you living, right? That, I mean, that's, that's basically the, the gist of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucked up. Have you seen the Netflix documentary on this? Yeah, Social Dilemma. Social Dilemma. So you knew about Tristan Harris before, obviously, before that. He's featured heavily in that documentary. Yep, yeah. Okay, cool. So you heard him on Sam Sam Harris's podcast. That's interesting. Yeah, and he, what I really liked was, so he eventually made a big fuss within Google. Um, everyone kind of agreed, but then there was no action taken. And so he kind of felt like he was powerless to change things from within. And so he attempted to change things from the outside, uh, which is why he created the Center for Humane Technology. And what I, what I kind of appreciated about him is that he took a lot of the things he learned about influencing people, design and behavioral hacking, essentially, that he learned in Stanford, and he took that and he's taking those skills and trying to use it in the opposite direction. And so he's been trying to coin different phrases that can catch on. Um, and one of them back in 2017 was time well spent. So I'm not sure if you heard that phrase being thrown around. I mean, I've, I've heard time well spent before, but not as like a catchphrase with anything to do with this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he, he made it fairly popular um, and, and I really enjoyed it. So I kind of used that as my mental filter for anything I came across or did in reflection. So before I did anything, while I was doing things, and then after I was done doing the thing, you, know, you can kind of apply that mental filter of, is this time well spent? And I think the, the, the terminology caught on pretty well with at least within like the tech community and people started using it a bunch. Um, but I thought what was kind of ironic was Mark Zuckerberg kind of co-opted the term and all of the Silicon Valley companies started to using time well spent. And I think Zuckerberg even used it during an earnings call and he wanted to make sure that, um, you know, t the user's time on Facebook was time well spent. So he stole and so it and completely bastardized it. I mean, he, yeah, at first they were getting some heat from the whole time well spent movement. And so that's why they started to address it. So it, it seemed, um, you know, there were some things done about it. So I think this is what spurred the screen time feature on both Android and iOS apps. But that was kind of the extent of it. So I, I think also with Facebook, they, they allowed parents to set time limits or something for their children maybe. Um, but it was kind of like a hidden thing and it was just kind of lip service. So you still had, you know, all of the addictive properties of the site website or service still existed. They just gave you a small little way to uh, combat it. Because it's true. I mean, ultimately the best way to achieve time well spent is not be on social media whatsoever. But Zuckerberg and the other CEOs, obviously that is not in their best interest at all. And so actually what's, what's funny, um, there was actually a Wall Street Journal article that, that featured me and my team at Docker. Um, it was just a little like paragraph in it. 
how how don't I know about this, Bryce? See, this is why we started a podcast because you don't tell me things unless we're podcasting about it. Like, why do why, why isn't this information that I know? Yeah, I don't. I didn't share it with anyone. I don't think. Um, Classic. So this was before the Screen Time app or Screen Time was a part of iOS, and so the actually they they featured this app, I believe, or at least the founder in Social Dilemma. So the app is called Moment. Moment. And it was the first app that would allow you to track your screen time per app. I think we, we I shared it in our group chat and a bunch of us downloaded it. Yeah, and we were yeah, comparing we, for a bit. Yeah. So we were, we were using that app. And then every day at work on our whiteboard, everyone would post in the previous day's time spent on their phone. And we'd kind of kind of like a leaderboard. So we, we did this for a, a few months. And one of my friend or one of the coworkers um, mentioned it to his friend and his friend happened to be a Wall Street Journal writer um, writing about the topic. Uh, but I, I, I also, maybe I didn't share it because I disliked the way the article turned out. <laughs> because I, I knew that you guys did that. I remember that your, you and your team did that. I didn't know that anybody wrote an article featuring it though. <laughs> Yeah, so I thought it was going to be an article about just interesting, like, yeah, people are want to be aware of how much time they're spending. Um, but his angle was that companies are tracking employees' phone usage in order to make sure that they work more and don't slack off. <laughs> wow, which it wasn't at all what you guys were doing. No, it, it wasn't at all. It was like a, it was like a more of a fun camaraderie type thing, um, having a better relationship with our technology in general. It had nothing to do with the work, except it was kind of like a fun thing to just do with with, with the work, guys. And I mean, that's that's so funny because I know I know the guys in your team. It like in no way was it. Hey, I think our team is spending too much time on our phones. Let's invent this game that they think is fun. But actually, what we're doing is modern. Like not at all, right? Not at all. Yeah, so that's so funny. And I, what I also regret is like um, the way I s- said something. So like quotes being kind of taken out of context. And he's like, "Oh, and so what happens to the people who have the most time?" And he's like, "Oh, you know, we we make fun of them. We're like, it's it's a shame thing. Like it's, it's, <laughs> it's for fun a though. shame thing." And so he put, <laughs> "Whoever has the highest score, we shame them." <laughs> he made it just sound really awful. Um, so yeah, I, I was a contributor to that. And he said he was going to let me see the article before he published it, but that was, that was a lie. Well, I think we learned a valuable lesson through that, uh, experience. Yeah. I, I really distrust, uh, journalists in general. So you were really into this for a while and what, what did that look like for you? So back, back then it was more like, I think I was doing like 30 minutes a day on my phone. And that felt great, actually. And it actually coincided with, I think, right around the same time, there was a book by Cal Newport called Digital Minimalism, uh, which I think is fantastic. And his previous book, you know, we, we both loved it. Um, Just deep obs- work. obsessed with deep work. One of, one, of the, one of the books that has changed my life my professional life the most is deep work by cal newport i loved it and then you know i say that but then i didn't read this digital minimalism i I think i need to yeah um there's just three core principles in the book 
and one of them is about clutter. So just having too many devices, apps and services, like we, we think we can kind of derive all these little benefits from each of these apps and services. And so basically the more apps and services, the more benefits we accrue, but at a certain point, just having all of these different things, um, the, we also inherit some of the negative effects of each of those things we pick up. And so instead of having this like ideal utopia relationship with the technology where we're just accruing all these small benefits, uh, each app we download, the, the negatives that are inherently bundled with that app or service, we also inherit. And usually if you're unintentional about how you use the app or service, that, that unintentional usage usually comes with greater negative consequences than that, that small little positive thing you initially downloaded it for. So all of a sudden, um, we're, we're basically being inundated with all of these negative consequences that we, we, we brought into our life with the intention of it being good. And so that's kind of like principle number two is optimization is important. So something that brings value to you, um, it's not, it's not a given, right? You have to, if you want to extract value from something, especially technology, it has to be something, um, that you plan ahead and it, it kind of sounds kind of dorky or unnecessary or like overly complex to think about, okay, here's Facebook here's how I plan to use it. And here's how I plan to gain value from it. And here's how I plan to shield myself from the negatives. And it doesn't take very long. You can do it in about five minutes or maybe even less. You know, you, you can, but, you can but kind nobody of have does like it. a, nobody does right. it. It's just something anything. that people don't do at all. And it shows. That's so true, Brian, that second one. Yeah. It's so obvious, but, but we still are resistant to it. Uh, and the, the last principle is, intentionality is satisfying. So just by being a digital minimalist and because it's almost like a life philosophy, I think anytime you live up to your values, however you define those values is inherently satisfying. Just how being a minimalist outside of digital minimalism, like a Marie Kondo kind of thing, that's also satisfying if you set out to do it and then you you uphold to it. So I think that is interesting that, you know, carries out to anything we do in life. Being yeah. intentional and sticking with that intentionality is always rewarding. Always rewarding. And it snowballs too. Like if you do it successfully and you're, you're, inten you're successful in your intentions for one thing, it makes you feel good and it makes you more likely to be successful in your intentions for the next thing that you intend to do. Uh, all of that makes so much sense to me. I love Cal Newport. <laughs> but see, so this is the exact reason why I think the concept of a digital detox is bad. See, but there, I, I'm not sure that I agree with you there, Bri, because it's almost like alcohol, right? With alcohol, if you're drinking too much, yes, the best thing to do is be able to change your relationship to alcohol so that like every time you drink, it doesn't, you know, lead to you getting drunk and you can have fun without drinking, etc. But if you are in a state where you're addicted to alcohol, in my mind, the best thing to do is to quit it, quit 
and reset your body and you know be normal without alcohol before then re-injecting it into your life and I feel like the same thing with some of these digital forces that are on us like you you get addicted like it's addiction and I think I really like the idea of a detox because it like breaks that addiction and you get out of the habit and you are able to reset to then have a more healthy relationship with it. Yeah. So I agree with, with some of what you said. So I guess clarifying like abstaining and quitting something I think is different than a detox. So in like pop culture detox, it's usually like a one day thing, maybe a two day thing, or at most like a seven day thing. You know, it's like a, it's like a cool fashionable thing to do different detoxes. And so to me, I wouldn't equate like quitting alcohol as being like a a detox. Yeah. Okay, fine. Then maybe we have a different definition of detox. I, I understand completely what you're saying. What, what I'm, I was I was taking it more literally as in like a detoxification, as in like, I'm addicted to drugs. I need to not be addicted to drugs. I am detoxing from drugs. Um, But yeah, okay, fine. So you're saying what you don't agree with is like a fad, hey, I'm going to go off social media for a day and then post about it on social media the day afterwards. Right. I I think it's like the easy way out of doing long-term behavioral change is basically this ping pong effect where people love being completely indulgent. And then they think that in one day they can make up for the other six days of the week in doing one thing, which is funny because I, I do do cheat days. With <laughs> well, but that's, that's the opposite. That's, I was just about to say that, but that's the complete opposite where you're good six days of the week. And then on one day you can indulge. That is different than indulging six days of the week and then being good one day. Yeah, that, yeah that's true. And then I also dislike the word detox itself um, because I think the, the words we use kind of define our relationship with the things we're describing. And as soon as you use the word detox, like you said, it's detoxification. So whatever you're trying to detox from, you think as toxic. And so now everything is toxic. Like, oh, I'm doing a social media detox or technology detox or diet detox or like a drinking detox. So it's, you're essentially labeling all of these things as being toxic and being bad. And I think that's the wrong way to go about having a healthy relationship with that thing. So now when, you're, when you set yourself up into either indulging or detoxing, you're setting yourself up for, for failure, I think, or a very unhealthy relationship where you're always struggling against something that's bad for you. Whereas digital minimalism or minimalism in general, you can have that healthy relationship. So you can use technology and enjoy the use of technology and it's, you can view it as good for you. I agree. Whereas detox already sets up the relationship to be one in which you're always losing. It's just how much are you losing? I agree. I agree completely. Like you, you detox from heroin, right? Yeah. Because also the other problem is it makes you feel like shit because then if you think of that thing as toxic and you then continue to use it, 
you're like, oh, I'm doing something that's toxic for myself and you judge yourself and you feel crappy. Um, when really the only thing that's toxic is you're not, you're not doing it with intention. That's really what you want to get away from. You don't, you don't necessarily need to get away from the thing completely. You just want to get away from using the thing mindlessly without intention. We should change the title of the podcast then. I was thinking episode two, Digital Detox, but now we're, we're calling it episode two, Digital Minimalism. <laughs> or that's why I like the term you use, resetting. I think that's more of the appropriate approach or mindset. Like I do like the idea of a detox in the sense that you're using it as a reset to then implement long-term behavioral change. You have to get not addicted. You can't, you can't get to a place that is healthy until you're not addicted anymore. And like, you need to break some of these habits and break some of these patterns that have developed in your brain and your behavior. And I think the only way to do that, well, the way that I would do that with me is I would stop for a, for a period of time. The thing that I get the most addicted to in life, Bri, is video games. It is my heroin. Like I don't, I don't drink that much. I don't do many drugs. I, you know, I'm like not a, even this digital, the digital stuff. It's not like that bad. I'm not on social media that much. I don't basically don't look at my phone during the day. But video games, like when I'm addicted, I'm addicted. And like I think about it all the time. It's the only thing I want to do. Like my relationships suffer, etc. And Part of that is because the video games are addicting themselves. Part of it is I'm a competitive guy. It appeals to the essence of the person that I am. I just love it. When I feel like it's really bad and I need to reset, sometimes I can't, I'm too far deep and I don't, I can't control it. And I don't realize until like a month later, be like, oh shit, the last month it's just flown by. I've just been playing video games for the last month. I haven't realized it. But when I recognize that it's bad, the only way for me to, um, to like take control of it is to stop for a period of time, like stop for a week, don't play. And then when I come back to it, be like, all right, I'm only going to play with other people. I'm only going to play in the evenings from seven to nine. I'm only, you know, and then I can like kind of set some rules and set some intentionality. But until I like wean myself off of it, I'm not in the state of mind to have that conversation with myself. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. Um, I like doing these like hard resets and then getting back into the rhythm of things slowly and reintroducing it. Yeah. I mean, so the, the original reason why I just like the detox is like, I think especially pop culture today treats the detox as the solution in and of itself. And they use it as this thing to then, first of all, to, to brag about, <laughs> Like yeah. people love sharing their detox. Love like, it. Oh, I I did this love for seven it. days. Here's what love here's it. what I thought. <laughs> love it's it. like seven days. That's that's, that's nothing. Um, and the last piece was people using it as as an excuse to kind of allow themselves to continue indulging. So you'll have people who allow themselves to get drunk six days out of the week, and then they're sober for one day, and they feel like it absolves them to then continue their their habits and i think what people don't realize is 
that a lot of the negative consequences of overdoing something day to day, those negative consequences accrue and they keep on building and accumulating. I, I think it's similar to like sleep. Like we, we used to be under the idea that you build up a sleep debt over time. So any number of hours you, um, you miss out on in sleep, you accrue a, a debt that you can then repay in future nights. So it's like, you can only get five hours of sleep through the weekdays, but then when you get 10 hours or 12 hours on the weekend, it's basically you, you pay off that debt and like you're, you're good for the week. Your life is health. Yeah. Your health is okay. But what we've learned with that and with other things like, um, insulin tolerance, you know, so many people becoming diabetic or pre-diabetic type two diabetes, hammering your system with sugar all day, every day, and then having one day where you abstain. The, the day you abstain, it's, it's good for your health, but it can't turn back the clock on the other six days. Like you are accruing negative effects to your long-term health. And so I think that's why the detox in general, as it's done in pop culture is negative, both in the terminology, as well as people's relationship kind of leaning on it as a crutch to not make long-term behavioral changes that are good for them. And instead they use it as, uh, it, it, and it's, it's so insidious because they get so much praise for it too. So it's like, they get to behave a way that's very bad for them, but everyone, and I think they're kind of all in it together in a way, you know, they'll do de detoxes together and then they'll share that on social media and praise each other. Um, and so nothing really changes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's go back for a second to when you were only consuming about 30 minutes a day and you said that felt great. What was good about it? Would you like to get back to that that place? Yeah, I think so. Um, that was when I made everything very intentional. And so I would... I would usually put my phone somewhere else in the house and kind of leave it there. Um, I went in and turned off every notification on my watch and I turned off every notification on my phone except for calls and text messages. And yeah, you were, you were really hard to get a hold of for <laughs> about a year there. <laughs> Tough to reach you. Yeah. And then one of the biggest ones actually was that, so Jackie and I, we would, and we're kind of back into it now, but like when we ate, we would do it in front of the TV and we would like watch a show while we did it. Um, and, and so during this time, we would specifically have dinner at the dinner table with nothing on, no phones, and we would just have, you know, a conversation or just have a boring dinner. And at, at first they were kind of, you know, just like small chit chat, like <laughs> we could be watching something right now. <laughs> but once we got into it, 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 we started having like conversations that we wouldn't otherwise have had. Um, and it was great. Um, but we let that kind of get away from us. I think when we, I think when we moved, you know, when you move, that's when your behaviors all kind of get uprooted and they change. If you were to get back to what you would consider ideal state, from where you are right now, what do you think the steps to getting there would be? So there's a, 
there's a thing that Cal Newport blogged about that he said he wished he included in digital minimalism, but he didn't because he thought of it afterwards. Uh, and it's called the phone foyer method. And so your foyer um, of your house is like the, the part of the house near the front door. Um, I've never had a foyer because I've always lived in apartments, but we just call it the place near the front door. <laughs> and the idea is to everyone in the family puts their phone at the front of the house. And anytime you want to use your phone, you have to go to where the phone is. What, what I really like is he, he thought about, you know, like, why is our phone so addictive? And part of it is because of the like minification and the new mobility of a smartphone. So before when there were landlines, phones would be in dedicated places of the home. There was a specific place you had to go to get to that thing and, you know, do those use cases you would use it for. But as the minification process happens, now you have it in your pocket. Same way with, he actually related it to time. So back when clocks only existed at certain places, especially when, like when you had a single clock uh, at the center of the town, or you have you know monastery bells and people would use the bells to determine the time. People lived their life in ways that were not very uh, tightly coupled to timekeeping. But once we minified it and gave time mobility to be in our pockets, and now the pocket watch existed, Basically, everything started to run on time in lockstep with the minutes of the day. And we still have those repercussions. I thought that was a, an interesting insight. You know, he also compared it to like, imagine if we did the same thing with like a table. You know, if you had a table that was, could exist in your pocket, you could whip out any time and you just all of a sudden had a full scale table, you would all of a sudden start playing board games all the time. You would just start... <laughs> having meals on the street or on sidewalks, you know, you would find ways to use that table all the time just because you had it with you. Um, so the mobility of something or like how attached it is to you will change your behaviors in ways that you may not foresee, or you wouldn't even do uh, or want to do if you didn't have it. And what kind of scares me actually. So th there's a study, uh, maybe you've heard of it where, if you have your smartphone near you, it reduces your intelligence where your intelligence or your IQ drops whenever you have your device within, you know, like six or 10 feet of you. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. A lot of what intelligence is, call back to Cal Newport's other book is your ability to focus on the thing. And if you cannot focus on the task at hand completely, and maybe it's only 10%, right? Maybe only 10% of you is conscious of your phone and you're like every once in a while checking to see if you get a notification or if the, the light's beeping or whatever. Or you get something and you flash over and you, you lose your train of thought for a second or, or you lose your focus, then you are going to be less intelligent at whatever you're doing. That's I, I agree with that so much. To me, it's so funny not funny. Funny is a terrible word for it. It is, it is so, <laughs> it is so, 
you know at work those things those like little stands that you can buy for your phone where you can like put it right in front of your monitor so you have like your monitor and then you've got your little phone in its stand so it's like hey now I like I'm totally plugged in like if anything happens I'll see exactly where it is like I think that's the worst idea that you could possibly introduce into your working life like what are you doing like how how can you think that that is good do you ever get any useful information to your work on your phone during the day like the answer is no i i don't i have I one don't. of those on my desk right now and during the work day i i specifically don't have my phone on that stand yeah i you probably just, just remove the stand i remember that when when i when i found out about that study uh, it scared me too and i started at work in my office, I would have my phone on the shelf where I couldn't see it. I had to get up and walk to it. Um, and like now that we're working from home, I still try to keep it distanced away from me. At the very worst, face down, out of reach. Again, it's the same thing we were talking about in episode one. At work, my mindset's different where it's like, you're actually fucking with my performance now. If it like... You, you are impacting my ability to be good at my job. And so there it's like no joking around. Like that's important to me. I'm not going to have my phone impacting my ability to be good at work. So keep it away from me. But then like as soon as work's over, it's like, oh, come with me everywhere. It's okay if you impact the quality of my personal time. But it's the same thing, right? Like I'm sure if they did a study on emotional connection with your kids, I'm sure it's decreased when a phone's there. Basically anything that isn't looking at your phone is is made worse by the existence of your phone in the vicinity yeah yeah i i think having like do a study have someone randomly tap you on your <laughs> on the shoulder while you're trying to do an intelligence test and your intelligence is going to lower so well, why are you trying to do anything <laughs> we're trying to do anything just have somebody who taps you on the shoulder every 30 seconds throughout your day <laughs> see how you like it <laughs> yeah, so I think funny. what's scary too is like the implications of this. Um, so if you've been following Neuralink, right, from Elon yeah. Musk, yeah, or some of these wearables, and where I mean, I heading, haven't been following it by watching YouTube videos about it while I eat my lunch, like you have, but I, I, I am, I am aware of it. Yeah, if the ideal, a lot of people are thinking is to eventually have these devices embedded in us, and not only right. embedded in us, but connected to our mind um, with a, like a computer brain interface, then that's like a permanent loss of intelligence as soon as it's installed. Like you'll be better, I guess, at maybe fact recall or fact lookup, but your, your fluid intelligence, well, I can't imagine it's, you know, the, the one thing we do have against notifications is the physical barriers we can erect in our environment. So we can put the phone, we can flip it upside down and we can move, we can turn off the notifications move it away out of eyesight. But if you add something available to you at a thought, we think about things that we don't intentionally want to think about all the time. It'd be so easy to unintentionally check things or think about things. Um, yeah, it just seems like. Yeah, how we'd get anything done ever. So phone in the foyer when you come into the house. Yeah, we, we did it for a while, both Jackie and I, and it's it's super powerful. <laughs> I mean, you just don't you just don't go to your phone. And when you do like if you just want to scroll 
you know, Twitter or something. You got to be. You don't really want to scroll that bad. You have to, you have to get <laughs> up. You have to go over there. You have to look like an idiot. The other person knows you're doing something <laughs> stupid. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so funny. I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that, Bri. I'm gonna talk to Franchi about it. She's not yeah, gonna I think like so. Franchi's addicted to her phone. You know, she also her her problem is she also works with her phone, right? Like she is. It is part of her uh, growing business to be available to people, to be on social media, to be present digitally. And it makes it hard for her then also to separate the stuff that she needs to do for her business from the things that she doesn't actually want to be doing, but she thinks is important in the moment. Um, Like Franchi, you know, will write you back always. If you write, if you write her, she will write you back within 30 seconds. And um, I always take great joy whenever she takes like 10 minutes to respond to a message of mine. It like makes me happy because I'm like, she didn't look at her phone for 10 minutes. That's fantastic. <laughs> She's not gonna like this. I probably need to cut this out of the podcast, but we'll see. Uh, some other things. I actually have like a little list I, I did. Um, like automate do not disturb mode on my phone every day. And I, I do it from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m. Is that like airplane mode? Yeah, essentially. It, well, it just automatically turns off all notifications except from like the VIP phone numbers you set to a specific list. Or if someone calls you twice in a row, it'll break through. And then, you know, screen time app restrictions. So like any app that I wanted to control my usage of, I would make sure to put an actual limitation on of like 30 minutes or whatever. Say I wanted to implement a... 30 minutes on Instagram every day. Like, do I do that in Instagram? Is there an app that does that for you? So I used to use moment where you could do it, but now the screen time uh, in settings of iOS. Um, And then also, you know, Android has the same thing. You can go in and you can set time limits for individual applications as well as categories. So you could say entertainment or social media and you could actually set a, a time limit for that whole category as well. Mm. And then what I do was I would put all of the distracting applications. I would move them all to the last page on my phone. Um, and then I would put them all in a folder and I named the folder think first. And so anytime I wanted to get to one of those apps, I would have to go through like six pages of apps. I'd have to swipe all the way through. And then it's it's telling me think first. Like if you were to do that right now, what would be in your think first folder on your phone? So for me right now, it's, I have a folder called think first already. And right now what's in there is TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Apollo. Apollo's a Reddit client, so Reddit. Hmm. Hmm. I should probably add fantasy football app in there. Oh, that uh, probably my email. For your email, you check your email. I I just don't. My email, my email inbox is a. It is just such a dumpster fire. There's no real point in in me checking it. I have twenty one thousand eight hundred and seventy unread emails. So, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't check I, that I very often. I subscribe to some newsletters I like, so I I do like reading those. Okay. Okay. Cool. Sorry. The next one. Yeah. So when you're using your computer for both work and personal, 
I have in in Mac OS, you can set you can have multiple desktops. And so I'll assign different applications to different at desktops. So I'll have my work desktop and my personal desktop. And then also I have I have separate browsers. So Chrome is my work uh, web browser. And then like Brave is my personal web browser. And so, you know, there's like a bifurcation between the two things. That's awesome. Because um, I know, um, I was just talking to Fernando actually, and he was getting super distracted too, because he would have like his personal email open right next to his work email. And like, that's something I used to do. And whenever I checked one email, I would always check the other email also. It's just because you're you're checking email. Uh, so separating the two, I think was uh, really important. So I, I did that way back, but that's super helpful. And then um, the last one that if I like really want to be on top of things, I will make sure to time block all of the things I want to do in my calendar. So any to do I need to do or any task, I, I always create an event in my calendar and then I'll just kind of use my calendar throughout the day as my task list. And so there's always something that I'm you know, supposed to be doing and it reminds me. So I, I think the times when you get distracted are in the transition periods from one task to deciding what to do next. And so when you're in that moment, when you quite haven't quite figured out what you want to do next that's when you're like oh i'll just check this or that um and so having that already decided up front for yourself um i think is a huge time saver and doesn't let you kind of keeps you to task yeah that last one is really hard i i uh, i actually i've, I've experimented with that at work I, I just don't like it and then can never abide by it it's one of those things that always just makes me feel bad because I'm like, oh, I should be doing this right now, but this person's called and now my whole thing has gone off. Okay, so I'm going to start and I'm going to ask Franchi to do the same. Leaving our phones in the foyer. We don't really have a foyer either, but leaving our phones at the front door. So you actually have to go physically check your phone if you need to. I think that's, I think that's, yeah. a, great, that's a great habit to get into. Let's both do it. And we'll, Let's do uh, it. We'll talk we'll about catch it up on how it's going. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's close this out with one last topic. Um, and I think this is what it all boils down to underneath it all that ties it all together, which is, I think, like social dilemma kind of pointed out, but it's the war for our attention. And it's us wanting to safeguard our attention. And every, basically every single tech startup out there who that's in entertainment or social media their goal is to take away some of our intention and have it for themselves. And so I think digital minimalism, I think the best part about it is that it's, it gets you to start thinking about safeguarding your time and attention when no one else is looking out for your attention. You know, no one is going to say, oh, I've, I've occupied too much of your attention let's end this early and hear some of your attention back. Um, none of those services or apps operate that way. So you always have to be on the lookout for your own best interest. And something that's also scary is like you have, you have slot machines, which have traditionally been extremely addictive. And those are pretty primitive. It's a lever, 
it's some rotating numbers and symbols. And then you, it takes about, you know, 10 seconds for them to spin around and maybe you win something like now it's like, imagine those slot machines had graphics, had videos, had images, had, um, you know, each one had billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of people working on them to make them even more addictive. And now you actually keep that slot machine in your pocket on your nightstand. The first thing with you, it's like, there's no possible way you could not be addicted if you had no intentionality about safeguarding your attention. And then like, and now imagine those slot machines knew everything about you, everything you shared online, all of your habits, all of your preferences, and they could actually use machine learning to keep reinventing the ways it got you back addicted and to occupy more of your attention. Um, and that that's like the, the picture, I think, social dilemma kind of paints, but also that, you know, things are already headed or we're already living in this world. And I think it was really, I mean, it's, it's like today slot machines are comparatively boring to your phone. I think our generation and younger, like the slot machine doesn't appeal to us at all because I'd rather go on my phone. <laughs> You know, that, that's more rewarding or like playing a video game. It, it, what's scary too is like these technology companies are coming after our attention from basically the, the only place they have left, which is our sleep. So Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix, I don't know if you heard, but he said his, their biggest competition is sleep. Jesus. He said their biggest rivals aren't Amazon, YouTube, or traditional broadcasters. He said the human's need for sleep is the main competition. <laughs> he said, "Wow, you know, think about it. When you watch a show from Netflix and you get addicted to it, you stay up late at night. We're competing with sleep on the margin. And so it's a very large pool of time. So he's talking about people's sleep as a large pool of time into which they can expand their usage. Wow. You know, telling investors in you know, on an earnings call, basically that like, Hey, there's still a lot of room to grow Netflix because there's all this sleep people are doing. Jesus, man. So yeah, I think technology has gone from like a symbiotic relationship where both benefit from the usage to like a parasitic relationship where, yeah, what we, what we started out the, the conversation with it's their benefit at our detriment. Uh, Way to close it out, Bri. That was uh, morbid. <laughs> Which is why we need things like digital minimalism. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I am so concerned about this now, not just for me, but, but also for my kids. I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. I mean, I just can't imagine. Like, we at least remember a time, Bri, where we weren't so beholden to technology or at least digital technology I, our kids won't know that and yeah, it's i scary. it's it's really scary i don't know how to approach it as a parent um because i also don't know how to approach it for myself really and it's just i can't imagine i can't imagine what their lives are going to be like in the context of this war on our attention hopefully at some point there's a big enough backlash but the, the problem is to have a backlash, things need to be taken too far. 
it preys on us to where we even want our own demise in a way. Like we want these things. And I think that's, that's also part of technology. Like a lot of people think of technology as um, doing bad things to us, but technology is neutral and it's just, it amplifies our already human tendencies. Like it's very human to be social. We're social creatures. Everything we do, everything we invent, everything we create, everything we value is about ultimately having some kind of social interaction or having a world into other people's lives. Like movies are just watching other animals similar to ourselves. So it's like everything we do and create is related to being social. So having it amplified is to be human. And I think it's a very human desire to engage with all of these things. Um, so th the only way you can curb technology in this sense is to curb humans' natural tendencies, which requires some greater framework like digital minimalism to be able to, to, to apply as like a blanket thing. Otherwise, it feeds into your natural way of being. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's also in man's nature to get addicted to stuff and to seek the dopamine hits that, that these devices give us. And that I think you're right. Like it's, it's a losing battle. It's a losing battle without some extremely conscious, well thought out plan to not fall prey to it. We'll, we'll, um, we'll leave it at that, Bri. Um, cool. Good talk, man. We will, um, We'll check in in a couple of weeks on how our how our digital minimalism efforts are going. Yes, yeah, will be great to see how we did, how we did. So in the same vein of thinking of an intro, Brian, do I feel like we need to think of an outro? Last time, last time I remember three people said from episode one, it was like, you guys kind of were just talking and then you stopped talking. And the episode was over. I was like, yeah, guess what? It's about to happen again. It was, it was, it was nice talking to you, Brian.